Good morning. I'm a little bit wrong-footed this morning because um, Dave, who normally sorts all these practical things out, is, is turned into Mr. Sneeze overnight. I mean, he got a cold yesterday evening, but overnight he just woke himself up and me several times by sneezing. And this morning he's just not managed to stop sneezing. It's quite astonishing. I hope it's not like a semi-permanent thing, but... Uh, he decided not to come and share the sneezing with you, which um, I'm sure you'll agree is a good thing. But it does mean I'm a little bit uh, hampered, which is pot- potentially another point in itself on this sermon of talk of what does it mean to um, be part of the kingdom DNA? What is the hallmarks of the kingdom? So for those of you who haven't been there for the rest of the series... We've been looking at um, Mark, the book of Mark, one of Jesus' friends, who wrote about the life of Jesus. And he starts off with um, what John said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So I was thinking, what does kingdom mean to, to, to us? To us, is it? Yeah, it's come up. That's good. Um, and I don't know about you, if you were at school, you learned the Lord's Prayer. We don't say it very often here in publicly, but many of us would pray this very frequently. We say, your kingdom come, your will be done. When I was at school, we learned it in Welsh. I don't, no, apologies, apologies to any of you who actually speak Welsh. Uh, it may actually be some form of gibberish that I learned, but uh, that's what it was. And we can kind of think, your kingdom come, your will be done. What earth does that mean? So I thought I'd take us back two steps and say, um, we believe in the beginning, God made the earth and it was really good. And humans were in good relationship with each other. We were in good relationship with nature. And we were in a really good relationship with God. And then evil came in. And evil started to damage us. It damaged our relationships with each other. It fractured our relationship uh, with God. And uh, damaged. we started to damage nature and the world. And I think many of us would resonate with that. We've all felt the effects of evil in our lives. And many of us have contributed in some way to kind of the oppressive regimes and structures. We're part of that system of evil. But God didn't leave us there. He sent Jesus. And Jesus, in going to the cross, took the evil from the world and took our contribution to evil to the grave and was resurrected again, showing the victory over evil. And Grace has given us an amazing picture of that this morning, that kind of dying to self and being raised again, and that sense of being in a relationship with Jesus. And he calls us to be part of the kingdom of God, where we partner with God in in bringing good news to the world around us, relationships restored, uh, our relationship with nature, working towards the good and we know it's not all complete yet. We, there's still awful evil in the world, and we still get things wrong, and we contribute to it. But we're part of a bigger picture, the story, and one day God says, all things will be good again. Evil will be defeated forever. But this morning in Mark, the disciples don't know the end of the story. And they're with Jesus, his friends, and they're going to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is the city where the king is going to be crowned. And they're really... They're kind of in awe about this, uh, and they are expecting that Jesus is going to overthrow the Romans, and he's going to be mighty. So we'll pick up, but Jesus is trying to explain to them that it's, it's not going to be pretty, that he's going to be mocked, he's going to be beaten, he's going to be spat at, and he will be killed before being risen again. So he's trying to get them to see it's not quite what they've got in mind. Let's read together. It's from Mark uh, chapter 10. 
Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do? He asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with a baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit at my right or left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the other 10 heard about this, they become, became indignant with James and John. So Jesus called them all together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this isn't the first time the disciples have asked this question. Just the preceding chapter, the disciples have said, who's the greatest? We want to be the greatest of all time. Which one of us is the greatest? And Jesus was saying to them, you know, I'm going to die. And he, they seem to follow Jesus telling them that he's going to die with who's the greatest. And I was like, I just don't get it. Why, why can't they see? And I think it's because they don't know the end of the story. They don't know what happens to Jesus. They're imagining Jesus as Hercules stepping forward, being a glorious victor. And they want to be the guys on the right and the left. So they've really got this idea in their mind. And Jesus talks to them about all these things. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, it's going to be like that. Um, and I think when they've got that in their mind, they really can't shift to what what is going to happen and who Jesus is. But Jesus says, not so with you. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came to be came to serve, not to be served, but to serve. So Jesus came to serve. So the picture isn't Hercules, it's of a servant, someone who's cleaning, someone who's serving other people. And that's a really hard thing. That was a hard thing for the disciples to understand. And I think it's still quite a hard thing for us to to understand. Because if I were to ask you, what do you think a leader looks like? A great leader, the greatest of all leaders. What do you, what things come to mind? What people come to mind? We generally have like words in our mind that kind of strong and powerful, someone who has authority, who, you know, is, can generally be good, but we have this idea of someone a perfect leader would be. And even amongst believers, we can have idea of, of who the leader will be. Now, thankfully, Dave, as Mr. Sneeze, uh, doesn't come across as the most, um, I would say, Hercule, Herculean of leaders. He's not here to comment. And he, yeah. <laughs> uh, but when you have that concept of a Herculean leader, it can allow a toxic culture to um, come into place. And I think this is applicable in our workplaces, in many uh, areas of our life. We can uh, be subject to or be part of toxic cultures. And unless we're aware of what's going on, that can be really damaging. So I just want to spend a couple of minutes on toxic culture. In my own work life, I'm a doctor. And I remember as a junior doctor about 25 years ago, something like that, um, 
that we had this thing of the references and the, the consultant orthopedic surgeon could say, ask you to do pretty much anything. And if you tried to say, well, I don't think that's a good, oh, they go, your reference, you will not get a reference. You will not get another job. Literally just do what I say, shut up, get on with it. And, um, that will be fine. That's a toxic culture. And it leads to that place where you're just sort of, um, not able to participate, not able to say what you know, not able to join in. So how is the kingdom of God different to that? And the first thing is that in the kingdom of God, we only have one king, and that's Jesus. And he's the one that we submit to. No earthly uh, leader or person can ask us to submit to them. They can, we submit to one another. We, they cannot demand that of us. We are, in fact, described as co-workers in Christ. Now, we might need a bit of organization. We might need some kind of like, who's going to put the chairs out? We, we do need structures and things, but we are co-workers. We work together in bringing the kingdom of God. We join with God in the kingdom together. We only have one king, and that's Jesus. The second thing is that we agree with God about who we are. Um, and I think some, in some circumstances, you may have found it at work or in other places, you can't really say what you know. You can't really be who you are because that will affect someone else's power. So you might have to pretend you don't know something or you're not very good at something because you'll upset the leader who has to be the best. That's a sort of toxic trait. And in the kingdom of God, we are a body. We all have a different part to play. And we don't have to be less than that. We don't expect to be more than that. We just play our part with who God has called us to be as part of the body. And it's amazing to work together. And Jesus is our head. We only have that one head. The third thing is that we're, we should be a kingdom of transparency, not silence or secrecy. Um, it says everything which is hidden will be brought into the light. And in the kingdom of God, we should be that people who are transparent. We're not, uh, if somebody asks you to keep something secret or to be quiet about something, that's often a toxic sign that there's something they don't want to be disclosed. And that can be a sign of toxicity. The fourth thing is open, not fear. So when you disagree, and we all disagree about lots of things, uh, when we bring that to someone and say, oh, I'm not sure about that. Oh, we met with a threat. Oh, you better keep quiet or you'll cause disunity. There will be unharmony or cause trouble. Or is it an openness to say, oh, you know, let's have a think about that together. Can we raise concerns? In workplaces, we have to have like, um, what's it called? A whistleblowing policy. Because if you've identified something, it's recognized that structures try to suppress it. Keep it quiet. Let's keep it pretending everything's okay. And you have to have a policy to protect someone who's saying, oh, I think something's not right. We want to be a culture of openness in the kingdom of God where we contribute together. And the final thing is that we're in community. The kingdom of God is a community. We're not in isolation. And when we get isolated or someone tries to isolate us uh, from the, the body, that's a bad sign. You know, actually, this is a picture of us at um, uh, going deeper where we talk about the sermon and we sort of say, what do we agree with? We can ask questions. We can uh, be in community working together. We're not isolated or are on our own. Uh, because the kingdom of God is a place where we are supposed to thrive and flourish. And I think what can happen, actually for all of us, is we can, while we're trying to be Hercules or trying to follow someone who's Hercules, a gap develops between who we're trying to be in public and who we are in private. A big gap can develop. And, and how, the bigger that gap is, the worse we can find a mess we find ourselves in as we're trying to perpetuate an image of ourselves as Hercules when there's a giant gap. 
it's not so easy for me because what you see is usually what you get. So um, my home is usually really messy when people come round and it's like, oh my goodness. And um, my, my neighbour and used to come to church and say, you should hear them shouting in the morning from down the street. You know, <laughs> it's good if we live close to each other. It's harder for those gaps to arise, but they can happen um, very easily. And the people that we listen to and follow, do we put people on pedestals? So just think from this morning, the people that you listen to, the people that you, maybe the podcast that you listen to, if that person or when that person stumbles and falls, how much will it affect your faith? How much would it affect you? Are you just thinking, do you know what? They're a coworker like me. And if they fall off their perch, you know, that's, it's very sad and tragic, but that happens in the kingdom. We're in a battle and people fall. Or will we be devastated because actually we're following them and we've put them on a pedestal? I think these are really important questions. I followed Danielle Strickland. A lot of this talk is based on things that she said. But she makes no uh, bones about the fact that she's not the finished article. Things go wrong. Things have gone wrong. Being open about them so that we don't have people on pedestals. Uh, One of the things she points out is that the the kind of culture that we have is that we never... uh, James Bond was told this, and Hercules was told this, Hercules was injured, and his advisors say, never let them see you bleed. And I think as followers of Jesus, we're not following a Herculean leader who has to have it all together and look perfect and look um, as though they're just shiny all the time. We're following a crucified Jesus who was naked, humiliated, whipped, scorned, and mocked. We're following somebody who was, in human standards, shamed publicly and allows us to be who we are following him, following his example, dying to self and kind of exposing. Um, He exposes in us all the places where we uh, are humble and it's a good thing. So I do think it's a time, actually, for us to, to say that we don't want to live in a toxic culture anymore. And when we see toxic cultures exposed and people fall... Yes, it's sad that they've fallen, but it's not sad that it's been exposed. It's good. It's good when bad things are brought to light and they can bring healness and they can bring a bit of um, justice. These are good things. Because Jesus says that we're not living in a system where, like the Gentiles do, where you lord it over each other and people have authority over other people and there's a big power imbalance. Jesus says, not so with you. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. So I would caution you today to say, look for servanthood as a mark of the kingdom, not a a great heroes. Look for that servanthood. It's a mark of the kingdom. Everyone wants to change the world, but no one wants to wash up. Have a look at the people. Who are they washing up? They're the people, you know, who are serving. What does it look like for us to be greatest of all time? I don't think it's a bad thing to want to be great in the kingdom of God. I don't think it's a bad thing at all. But great in Jesus' terms. I almost love this more than anything else Jesus said. He said, unless you change and become like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Children aren't good at putting on masks, are they? Particularly younger children. They just are who they are. They say what they see. They just get on with it. And and. I'm not saying that we um, don't try to uh, change and don't try to tackle the areas where we're not getting things right. We do. But in something about being a child and living as a child in the, of the king is ever so releasing. I was reading that um, 
The age at which a girl is most likely to reach her most confident and feel strongest is nine. After that, the pressures of the world start to strip away confidence and people can't be who they feel they are inside. They have to mask and hide. Um, And God wants to use us in our differences. He doesn't want us to be clones. He doesn't want us to all be the same. He wants to use the quirky things about you. If you blurt things out sometimes, he can use that. If you get things wrong, he can use that. He can use every part of us. And we don't have to hide and be ashamed of the very things that are core to who we are. God wants to use them for his kingdom. Because he's a God who celebrates what we're doing. Um, he, if you saw your child trying to do a somersault and they got halfway, would you be there going, well, that was rubbish. Make more effort. Come on, tuck it in, sort it out. You'd be like, yay, well done. You gave it a go. Good job. And I believe God's like that with us. We try things. We step out and we get it wrong. Um, very long time ago now, probably about 14, 13 years ago, we tried to do messy church at the Alberts Place building in the afternoon. And it was really brilliant in loads of ways. So families came and we ate together. But it was in some ways really impossibly hard and a bit of a disaster. And it stopped. And we could look back on that. What a failure that was. You know, you've made a big song and dance about it and how good it was going to be. And then what? It was a flop. No, that's not how God sees it. He's like, yay, well done. You get that. You've gave that a go. That was amazing. Yeah, it didn't quite work, but that's okay. Keep going. Keep trying. We serve a God who wants us to flourish in the gifts that he's given us. And working in the kingdom is recognizing what you have, who you are, your t- the things that you have around you, your influence, your resources, and using those for the benefit of others. How do we come before God acknowledging who we are and just allow God to speak to us to say, how can we use those for the kingdom? So this morning, there's an invitation. Uh, There's an invitation. Some of us have been hurt by toxic cultures, even in church. We've been hurt and injured. And I believe God, that's not of God. God wants to meet us in those places of hurt He wants to acknowledge what has happened to us and to bring some uh, healing and restoration. Some of us have potentially even been part of systems that hurt, and he wants us to acknowledge that. He wants us to acknowledge where the gap has developed between our private life and our public life, where things have gone wrong. Because in recognizing it and bringing it to the light, telling someone else, that's where the kingdom comes in and change begins. And for some of you, you may not um, know much about the kingdom of God. You may think, well, like what Grace was doing this morning, I've not done that. I've not um, actually decided to, I didn't know that Jesus offered this. Well, this morning, I believe God God does want to meet you and offer you that chance to uh, say to Jesus, yes, I want to join with you. I want the things that I've done wrong. I acknowledge them. Jesus, I I recognize that you died for those things, the evil in the world. I don't want to be part of that anymore. I want to live for the kingdom of God this morning. 
So I'm going to pray for us now. But if you would like some prayer about any of those things, maybe you've brought somebody with you that you trust or you know somebody that you trust, ask them to pray for you. There's no magic about God. God can talk to you even in your seat. You don't have to go and have anyone else pray for you. But sometimes it's helpful to have someone to pray. So um, over at the back will be a few people who will be willing to pray for you this morning if you find that would be helpful. But take a chance. I'll give a little second of silence where you can think about, has a gap developed between my public and private life? Am I worshipping some, somebody who's just going to um, let me down? Do I want to uh, recognize Jesus as my Lord this morning and follow him? So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for the way that you taught your disciples and you told them to serve and to love. And Lord, we are sorry that we don't live like that. We acknowledge that we get it wrong and we join in with evil in our world and oppress others. And we're sorry, Lord. We come to you this morning and we say, would you work in our lives? Would you work in our hearts? Would you enable us to live as your children? Would you bring to fruition all the things that you've put within us, that you've given us, that you want us to use for you, to use for good, for your glory? One day, all things will be put right. We long for that day, but until then, Lord Jesus, we will join you in working for your kingdom. Amen.